It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show, recorded in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at either bze.org.au or 3cr.org.au and, of course, through your favourite podcasting app. And don't forget you can also follow us on Twitter with the tag at bzetechshow. My name's Michael Steindl. I'm joined today by my two co-hosts, Kay Winnigal and Laura. Morning. How are you doing? Good morning. Hi, Michael. And in the background here, we have um, Dr. Ashish Sharma today, um, who is currently working on a post as a postdoctoral researcher at the Environmental Change Initiative at the University of Notre Dame, and he's also now transitioning to a research assistant professor position at the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering and Earth Sciences, also at the University of Notre Dame. Dr. Ashish received his PhD in regional climate modelling from Arizona State University in 2012, working with. Dr. Hyoi Ping Hang. His research interests lie in atmospheric scientists and land-ocean atmosphere interactions at a range of spatial scales, regional to local scales, and that are relevant to the management of human and natural systems. Ashish's aim is to create a new generation of high-resolution climate models capable of resolving relatively small-scale processes and impacts in a sufficiently physically-based way that they can be used for future climate predictions with increased confidence. He performs targeted dynamical downscaling experiments with the overarching goal of creating bridges between global, regional and micro-scale modelling. We'll be discussing his recent article in the conversation on UHI, which is the jargon for urban heat island effects, and green and cool roof contributions in Chicago. Welcome, Dr Ashish, and thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, could you start by telling us um, your journey of how you became interested in climate science and uh, what led to your PhD? Oh, sure. Uh, so I moved to U.S. from India in early 2008 for my master's in fluid dynamics, and I was working with Joe Fernando at uh, the Arizona State University in the Environmental Fluid Dynamics Group. And we were looking at uh, cooling water flow in the nuclear power plant and how can we increase the plant efficiency. Uh, however, during my master's, I slowly developed inclination for climate science that it was one of the group's focus. So after, reaching my, after finishing my master's, I decided to continue to pursue my PhD in climate and atmospheric sciences. So uh, I started working with Dr. Hui Ping Huang, as you told, and uh, during my PhD, we focused on using numerical tools to simulate regional climate for semi-arid regions and uh, whereby we were running a high-resolution atmospheric model that was constrained by large-scale uh, climate boundary conditions. And we commonly call this approach as climate downscaling. And we focused on two areas. First is the state of Arizona, where I did my PhD from, and we looked at precipitation and temperature. And these are the quantities that are critical to semi-arid regions. And uh, we looked how their distribution is and what is the impact on land use, on topography, and basically, the aim was how can we better uh, do a water resource management uh, for semi-arid regions like this, like Arizona. 
for my second research topic, I address the climate ch- challenges in Central Asia. And if you know uh, Errol Sea, Errol Sea was a huge sea, kind of inland lake, which clearly is drying up. And it's one of the biggest disasters uh, in, in the world. And since 1960, it lost on 80% water and 90% water depth. And the debate is going on what caused this drying and is it natural or man-made. So overall, we were looking at local and regional climate interactions because of drying up of Aral Sea and uh, what are the ecosystem management practices that we can do in Central Asia. So mm-hmm. this is my journey to PhD. <laughs> Sounds very challenging. <laughs> And Ashish, can you tell us a little bit more about your current research areas? Oh, sure. So after finishing my PhD in 2012 from ASU, I moved to the University of Notre Dame for my postdoctoral training. Uh, I just want to give you an idea of where Notre Dame is because that is central to my research uh, uh, and uh, uh, research topics right now. So Notre Dame is it's situated at the southeast side of Lake Michigan and is around 100 kilometers from Chicago. So after coming to Notre Dame, I expanded my research portfolio primarily in three key areas. First is uh, regional climate modeling, which I was doing earlier, but I started looking between land, lake, atmosphere interactions because we had Lake Michigan really close by. Uh, I started looking at Lake Breeze, urban heat island effects, and uh, hydrometeorological extremes. Another uh, important aspect, especially we, we were really close to Chicago and Chicago was having a lot of challenges mitigating urban heating, was looking at microscale modeling. So how can we better capture processes at local scales, uh, look, uh, these microscales which are around one or two or three meter scales. So we're looking at how the flow is across the building. And third, the most important topic that I think we are, we are today talking right now is the interaction of urban urban ecology and urban heat island in a changing climate to mitigate and adapt to climate change. This is very poor line. You were saying looking at local scales of one to three metres, were you? Yes. Mm. So we use CFD-based models and drive those microscale models using the regional climate models to see what are the impacts and, uh, and how can we simulate current climate for, say, two or three building blocks uh, and how, can, how, how will be the climate in the future. So how will be the change in wind patterns, humidity, and temperatures? And this kind of information can be used by planners and uh, stakeholders to design future buildings and implement uh, plantation, all those kind of things. Now, before we get further into this research, can you give us a bit of an idea about the breadth of work that goes on at the Environmental Change Initiative, which is what I understand is a department at the University of Notre Dame? Uh, it is not a department, but it is an initiative by the University of Notre Dame research uh, in recent years uh, with, the, with the goal to advance uh, the science and the school and also increase the visibility of university's research uh, portfolio. So okay. at Environmental Change Initiative, it's like an initiative, uh, it's a team of over 500 researchers where which we come together from multiple disciplines, say science, engineering, social sciences, uh, management, and we work together with policymakers and amongst each other, corporations and even resource managers and uh, also like non-profit communities to pursue environmental research questions that are translational. And we try to answer those questions best uh, with the vision of science saving society. Fantastic. And ECI has uh, also, just to give you a glimpse of what kind of different research we do, we have 
ECA has also funded them a lot of research programs, uh, pilot research programs, and which have been successful in getting funding from, say, NSF, DOD, EPA, NOAA, or even foundations. So a couple of examples are like uh, we work in transportation networks, coupled them with climate change and uh, uh, invasive species, how they interact with each other. We also look at uh, long-term forest exchange program. Uh, we look at how forests are changing with, historically. Uh, we look at how land use is changing. So we have Indiana Watershed Initiative uh, program, the USDA. Uh, like one of the research portfolios is mine, where we look at addressing climate change at different scales and address hydrometeorological extremes, both in natural and urban landscapes. And apart from that, one of the interesting things CCI does is we have uh, uh, an index called as Notre Dame Gain Index, and the gain, which is a global adaptation index that summarizes the country's vulnerability to climate change and other global challenges uh, in, in response to its readiness to improve resiliency. Okay. So this kind of information is used by uh, stakeholders, uh, uh, in both public and private sectors, to prioritize investments and uh, meet global, global challenges. And given your research in the atmospheric sciences and the land-ocean atmosphere interactions, can you explain the diff- or the relationship between climate change and the urban heat island effect? Oh, sure. Uh, this is a very good question. Uh, so before delving into the question, I think I should first explain what basically urban heat island is. And uh, it's commonly called as UHI. Mm-hmm. So what happens is with expanding urban areas, uh, with more and more concrete structures, asphalt pavements and roads, increasing waste from human activities like use of air conditioning. This results in higher absorption of solar energy, which leads to higher temperatures, higher air temperatures over urban areas in comparison to the surrounding rural or natural areas. And the temperature difference that, that causes creates a warm envelope over urban areas, and we call it as urban heat island. And these urban heat islands are even more pronounced during nighttime. That's the key. And if you look at historically for past 10 years in the U.S., overall summertime nighttime temperatures have increased to like 4 degrees centigrade in cities uh, in comparison to the surrounding rural areas. Uh, to, to answer your questions related to urban heat island and climate change, uh, they are primarily related in two ways. First, the urban global Climate will increase uh, already heated uh, temperatures in heat islands and hot spots within. So, and second is, if we adopt cooling strategies to reduce those heat islands, it can help communities adapt to impact of climate change that are happening worldwide, as well as lower greenhouse gases emissions that cause them. So it's kind of a vicious circle. It, needs, it is kind of looped in that they are related to each other. Uh, so apart from this interaction, what we also see is there's a lot of stress on urban areas. Uh, today, urban areas support around 50% of the world population. And according to the United Nations, this is expected to rise to 70%. And as we all know, cities are expanding horizontally and vertically. And so the urban heat island effects are going to increase in future. Yeah, that's um, a staggering figure yeah. to think 50% of us already live in cities and, and it's going to move to 70%. Exactly. And if you look at the population density in a square kilometer in urban areas, it is increasing rapidly. Mm. Or if you look, uh, or I should say exponentially. And if you look at the coastal regions, if you look historically, civilizations are set up near coastal areas or close to the rivers because they need water. Mm. 
most of the urban density density is near water sources if you look australia sydney melbourne everything is along the coast mm. yes yes so, so so those are the those are the stress areas uh, that that are there mm. um so that that's one of the the frightening things about climate change that that so much of our population and our food growth is, is right near the sea and and so concentrated dr ashish last week yes. we had a um another session related to this same topic um we were discussing painting roofs to create an insulating and reflecting barrier on the roof um with special paints uh using buckyballs in them I understand green and cool sure. roof technology is being widely implemented around the world. Is that correct? Yeah, well, this is true, and uh, I should say I agree with you. It's being uh, widely adopted across the globe uh, as a possible mitigation strategy to combat urban heating. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it is uh, it is a lot being accepted these days with a lot of cities uh, realizing urban heating. And for example, in Chicago itself, we have Chicago Wilderness Green Infrastructure Vision Plan. So green and cool roofs are a part of it. So the aim is how can we better have more green infrastructure in the city so that we can reduce those kind of urban heating. Yeah. We've mentioned green and cool roofs in the one breath there. Can you also explain the difference between the two, please? Oh, sure. So green and cool roofs uh, both aim to reduce uh, rooftop heating. That's the primary goal. But the primary mechanism is different for both of them. Uh, green roofs. as you can see are uh, covered with plants and remove heating from air and building roofs to after transpiration and uh, while cool roofs use reflective material to limit solar absorption and then reduce urban heating so the mechanisms are different uh, green roofs uh, look aesthetically pleasing and have environmental conservation potential and it can add substantial green space to an urban environment mm-hmm. if you deploy zoning at a for a large scale they also provide habitat for ecosystem of plants and insects across the city and they can uh, the important thing is they can also remove a solid and gaseous pollutants via dry deposition and uh, leaf stomata on the other hand as i mentioned before cool roofs are primarily painted reflective uh, reflect with reflective material and they use no water and cost less than green roofs to install and maintain hence they may be more viable and cost effective approach for mitigating urban heat island effects uh, especially for semi urban or arid regions uh, or maybe for developing or undeveloped urban areas which has uh, low economic resources and uh, maybe water availability so it's kind of it is need and uh, and uh, location specific mm, so in brief it sounds like the green roofs have more benefits but are more work um and the cool roofs are uh, a simpler both in in insulation and maintenance and i suppose the green roofs need water as well yeah that mm. and yeah true yeah you, your study found the green and cool roof strategies reduce daytime peak urban roof temperatures across chicago or the metropolitan area mm-hmm. of chicago by about 2 to 3 degrees celsius but in downtown chicago mm-hmm. they reduced it by 7 to 8 degrees celsius that's quite a difference isn't it Yeah this is uh, quite intriguing as well uh, when we did the study we uh, uh, we realized that with, with urbanization the population density and urban heat island develops hot spots so the hot spots hot spots are basically concentrated areas of population or high density uh, urban buildings uh, called maybe for example urban downtown so these are highly populated and highly developed areas and they have more concrete with huge tall buildings parking structures and they use a lot of air conditioning 
So, whereas if you look at low or medium intensity urban areas or suburban areas around the downtown, they have low stress on urban environment and they might have more green spaces in comparison to downtown areas. So that was the reason that when we did the kind of simulations, we thought if we implement green roofs over downtown areas, the temperatures reduced 7 to 8 degrees because we were able to reduce more heating there in comparison to the non non-downtown, non-core urban areas where we already had uh, more, more parks, lawns, and uh, more, more, more green spaces. So mm-hmm. if we average out peak urban roof temperatures across the any metro, say Chicago or, um, or Sydney, we will see that the temperatures will reduce higher for urban downtown areas in comparison to the average region. Mm-hmm. Now, for those of you who have Just joined us. You're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show on 3CR. And we're speaking with Dr. Shish Sharma. And we're talking about urban heat island effect and green and cool roofs. Uh, Now, Dr. Shish, what model did you use for this project? For example, what was the scale used to compare the different roof types? So we used both observational uh, net data and simulation data. So we set up a field camping for uh, for the observational data set. And we installed temperature and flux sensors on DePaul University, which is in the heart of uh, uh, Chicago downtown. Uh, and that, that campus had green and cool and conventional roofs. And we collected observational data on top of rooftop and also the two-meter uh, ground surface temperatures. And uh, then thereafter, we, after collecting the observations, we did numerical simulations. We used weather research and forecasting tool, which is a regional climate model tool. So since we know it's for green roofs, the model doesn't have just green roof vegetation albedo. So, but we have a proper multiple layers of vegetation numerically uh, uh, added in the model with top layer of vegetation, soil layer, we have a drainage layer, and then we have some kind of insulation. And finally, we have the concrete roof surface, uh, roof surface layer. And thereafter, we performed different, different tests with multiple green roof fractions. We assumed if uh, all, most, all the urban area roofs were 100% green, or if they were 70% green, or 25% green, or if they're not green, to account for related contribution. Uh, for cool roofs, it was an easy task because cool roofs are just simple, simple things. We just changed the roof albedo and made it high albedo to, say, 0.85. Uh, so... So after uh, setting up this model, we ran the weather research and forecasting model. And if I explain this model in a simplistic terms, what we do is we feed the global climate model or an observational simulated model that is, uh, we can say, at say around 12 km, uh, 32 kilometer resolution for a huge domain over North America and then scale it down specially in multiple steps and zoom in for a model of half the U.S. And from there narrow it down to Great Lakes region, and finally resolve into, into one-kilometer pixels that specially show effect on Chicago. So we went down from 32 from 32 kilometer resolution to one-kilometer resolution in multiple steps. Wow, that's huge. That, that's and we ran this yeah. model in. That, that's impressive uh, yeah. um, resolution. Dr. Sheesh, I'm, I'm yes. fond of um, pointing out that climate change is a wicked problem in the complexities, and it seems even in something as, as seemingly simple as the urban heat island effect, it's not simple. But you found contrary effects with the airflow from Lake Michigan? Well, yes. So uh, what we saw is Lake Michigan is very strategically located, or I should say Chicago is very strategically located, located to Lake Michigan, next to Lake Michigan. 
So what we saw is cruise surface urban heat island showed a peak reduction between cool groups during 1 p.m. However, the two-meter temperatures did it, did show a peak reduction around at 8 a.m. And, it, and we were thinking that it should have it, we should have it, uh, the peak reductions around the peak uh, temperature time, but it happened at 8 a.m. because the lake breeze started and it kicked in. And we saw another peak when the lake breeze transitioned itself from lake breeze to land breeze. So in overall heating urban surface, the, another factor that comes into play is the pressure gradient between the Chicago and Lake Michigan. And after using green and cool roofs, the pressure gradient got reduced. And since the pressure gradient is reduced, there was less intense lake breeze over Chicago. And the weakening of Lake Breeze was also observed over the Lake Michigan, not only over Chicago. So the message is that reduced urban temperatures due to green and cool roof does not only have local effects on surface winds, but they also have regional effects. Okay, so that would be quite similar to Melbourne, um, where there's Port Phillip Bay and you've got the city just at, at the side of the bay. And I would imagine that the, the wind effects would be quite similarly affected. Not you may not know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you you also but, yeah. I think it's mostly a similar problem in the, or most of the coastal areas. If we, here we have Lake Michigan, but uh, if you talk about Sydney or LA, they have the whole whole ocean which generates uh, ocean breeze. Mm. Oh yeah, that's true too. Yeah, we only have a small um, yeah. bay, whereas your Great Lakes are, are very great, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You also found that the rooftop surfaces didn't just reduce the temperatures immediately above the rooftops, but well beyond that. Can you just let us know a bit more about that and how that works? Oh, sure. So, yeah, they didn't just change the rooftop temperature over the surface, but over, over the lower atmosphere. Uh, and we found that after looking at the vertical profiles in lower atmosphere, the results were alarming, or I should say they were very interesting from an atmospheric science perspective. Well, what we found was that the air temperature decreased uh, for first lower two kilometers during day and around 100 meters from the surface during the nighttime uh, while using green and cool roofs. So there were, uh, there were changes not only in temperature but also in wind speed in lower atmosphere. And reduced urban surface temperatures led to reduced vertical mixing of momentum and then reduced vertical mixing of upper layers into, uh, with higher wind speeds were less entrained into lower levels, so the wind speed got reduced, got reduced less in lower levels. So I can explain to you with a very simple example. If you, if you heat up water in a pan on a gas stove, if the temperature is high, you can see the convection happening a lot and, and going rising up. But if, you, if the temperature of the stove is less, then you can see the convection is not happening that much. So mm. there were so similarly, the, 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 the wind, the convection was, was small, the intensity was small, and also the horizontal wind speeds were, uh, were small because of the, uh, the pressure gradient between the lake and the land. So both vertical and horizontal wind speeds also changed, and in, I should say reduced. Mm. And so does that affect reduce the perceived benefits of the green and cool roofs? Well, this is the controversy question. <laughs> so I should say yes and no. <laughs> Uh, yes, because the advantage of using green and cool roofs is that they reduce uh, urban heating, and this is uh, uh, this is a fact that a lot of people know. However, on a flip side, green cool roofs may lead to air quality problems. Uh, uh, in Chicago or first in any coastal areas, 
we at least have the advantage that we have the lake, uh, lake bees that can help attract or mix air and, uh, and, uh, and control the air quality. But for cities adopting uh, this strategy with not a big water source availability, it might be a problem. Uh, moreover, cities like Phoenix, for example, in the United States, which is covered in valleys, already have air quality problems because of the downslope flows in nighttime and morning and evening transitions when there is a lot of traffic and it, and it creates a lot of ozone uh, and uh, pollution problems. Said, said that, I, I'm not saying that green and cool roofs should not be installed, but I think adequate research needs to be done for any urban area wherever you want to implement it. Uh, for example, approaches could be done, could be considered something like you, you patch small areas of green and cool roofs in comparison to large rooftops or continuous rooftops and see if it helps curb air quality. Uh, have more open spaces. Uh, city planners, stakeholders, policymakers should see if urban canyons are blocking the average flow uh, in the urban canyons, urban canyons of downtown, because they are very tall buildings, and the, at times the flow is blocked, and you can see difference in air quality, mm. uh, especially during peak pollution periods. Mm. Uh, and the, impact, the impacts assessed from the study, I think, are very informative are very informative to stakeholders and managers and the lessons can be learned for their areas. So you touched on social impacts and um, mentioned pollution and, and so forth. What other um, environmental impacts would we see with uh, less wind flow to an urban heat island? Um, or is there an environmental justice issue going on there? Well, uh, I think there are multiple other issues uh, which also influence decisions about uh, where to install green and cool roofs. Uh, uh, just to give an example, I was in a meeting last week at Urban Heat Island Institute at the University of Minnesota, and I brought up this topic of we should uh, of uh, weighing in options and consider competing feedbacks of implementing green and cool growth strategies uh, to mitigate urban heating. And as you said, uh, one of, an important consideration is environmental justice. Uh, for example, urban heating impact needs to be addressed demographically, uh, based on gender, age, income, and education level. So you can imagine low-income low and minority neighborhoods are disproportionately vulnerable to negative health impacts uh, from extreme hot weather. So I think planners should choose to focus heat reduction strategies on these areas. Uh, if we take an example of Chicago heat wave of 1995, a lot of old and low-income people uh, uh, were, were the people who got mostly affected. Uh, for, for example, if you want to decrease the air conditioning temperature by one or two degrees centigrade, then uh, an affluent or a uh, person can do it. A healthy person won't even care, but it will matter a lot for old old people. So it's just an example. Uh, and also it is important to account for thermal comfort, uh, which means that how much time you spend outdoors, what is the social and economic behavior of the city, uh, are we accessible to cooling resources such as air conditioning, uh, swimming pools? So what I mean to say is planners should consider these effects as they apply heat mitigation strategies at local scale. So um, we're just on our last minute, Dr. Ashish. Um, it, it sounds like it's, it's not a simple issue, quite complex, um, deciding which sort of roof um, over the other and even whether to apply green or cool roofs. Um, yeah, any any overall comments apart from what you just covered there? Well, uh, I, I should say both approaches both approaches are great. It depends on the location and resources to make a decision. 
Yeah. And in my opinion, the only advantage clean and cool roofs is that they have the ability to remove solid and gaseous pollutants uh, and the ability to the ability of retention of rainwater, for example. But they're costly and uh, costly to put in the first place, and they need maintenance. But for cool roofs, you don't need all that. So the question is, uh, so the, the, sorry, the solution is this is region specific. And I think it needs for the evaluation by experts in multiple disciplines, like city planners, uh, people in uh, urban design. They need to know how the wind flow is, and they need to collaborate with the atmospheric people to understand the flow, flow dynamics, not just coming up with a very cool building plan and uh, making a high, tall rise building. Thanks very much, Dr. Ashish. That's been very informative. And it certainly clarified the urban heat effect. Thanks so much for your time today. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the climate change solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the community radio network. If you want to listen to this show or any of the others we've done, you can go to www.bze.org.au and click on podcasts. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.